Hello, you are listening to the All Girls School podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett, a graduate from an all-women's college in Virginia. This podcast aims to highlight the diverse experiences and life journeys of graduates from all women's colleges. Listeners can expect to hear candid conversations about a wide variety of topics. This podcast strives to be in an inclusive space, so some guests may identify themselves as non-binary or trans. I hope you're ready because class is about to start. Hello, and welcome to the All Girls School podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Barrett. And each week I sit down with someone who has attended and or graduated from an all-women's college. This week I'm super excited to have um, a personal friend of mine. We were also roommates at some point during our (laughs) college careers. Um, At Mary Baldwin College, we were both in VWL together. Um, Her name is Tesla Siri. Welcome to the (laughs) Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Another way I would like to introduce her um, would be, since the Barbie movie just came out, uh, this is Lawyer Barbie. And I, I guess right now, am Podcast Barbie. Um, And I made her see the Barbie movie Mm -hmm. prior. I was given lots of homework. Yeah, prior (laughs) to the podcast in case we wanted to chat about it. Yeah. So what were your thoughts? Um, I like the movie generally. Uh, I think my biggest point of contention with the movie is that it is a walking advertisement. Mattel has had a problematic past and I paid $16 Mm -hmm. at a fancy movie theater in Chelsea for the privilege of watching that advertisement. That being said, it was really well done. Um, it It was a good movie. It was an interesting movie. It was a bit sad, a bit heavy. Um, I think it had to be for for anybody to do justice to the Barbie story. It had to mm-hmm. be a bit heavy, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I, I paid for the privilege of of being a part of an advertisement, an experiential advertisement. Yeah, but I do think, I think a lot of people were surprised um, based on the advertising, especially maybe some of the male um, attendees who saw it that. It was actually more of a satire mm-hmm. um, to kind of highlight um, those criticisms of just like a patriarchal society. Not only that, it it highlighted the problems itself that Barbie has through like Mattel and things like that of how it's been marketed to mm-hmm. girls and how it kind of... Um, makes us question like our self-worth it gives us these high expectations that we can't really meet as far as like body image um being sexualized things like that yeah i mean barbie Um, is a sex doll yeah so i mean it but i think she does a really good job of taking what um we stereotypically associated with barbie because i never really was a big fan of barbie Mm -hmm. the doll itself um but taking kind of that narrative and being able to flip it and use like the relationship between like the mother and daughter in the movie um, to kind of rewrite the story of Barbie and what Barbie could represent for women. It was perfectly well written. And I hope Mm -hmm. that Barbie continues to make their actual corporation more feminist. Mm -hmm. Would like to see a female CEO again. Yeah. Um, Not just joke about it. Yeah. No, it was it was a hilarious joke. Um, It was it was it was very well written. Yeah. Artistically great. Um, But I don't don't know if it it necessarily moves the needle on how I feel with Mattel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do kind of want to tie in. And I think we talked about this like off of the podcast a little bit of like Barbie land and um, kind of how uh, this kind of ties back to us going to all women's colleges. And like when you get to Barbie land, it's it's essentially women are in charge of everything. Mm -hmm. Um, They're encouraging when they see each other. They're like, hi, Barbie. (laughs) You know, it's hi, Barbie. Hey, Barbie. Um, Like this Barbie's a lawyer. This Barbie's the president this Barbie does this, this and this is a doctor. Um, and I feel like being at a all women's college is similar. It has like some parallels to that to where like we're all striving for these different 
like professions. We have these career goals that, you know, we're encouraging of each other. Like we have that kind of self-governing um, bodies for a lot of our uh, clubs and even like the student government itself um, is all woman ran because it's an all women's college. Yeah. And so I'm not saying that there wasn't probably competition or drama, but I mean, at least for student government, the competition was mm -hmm. framed much differently. I spent some time in student mm -hmm. government. I was in VWIL, which is the military program, but I also did some more civilian activities because mm -hmm. I knew I was going to law school. Yeah. Um, and I, I regularly didn't want to compete for my position in student government. Mm -hmm. So we had this kind of orientation where we discussed the rules of running for student government. And I'd always like pull everybody in my class aside and be like, what are you running for? What are you running for? I picked the one nobody was running for. Mm -hmm. So I was actually never contested. Mm -hmm. um, I got a lot of treasury type positions, which I guess is undesirable, but it was it was fine for me. Mm -hmm. um, and that is extremely different from the real world yeah. where it, it just felt kind of like a, a, a Disneyland type, you know, mm -hmm. like Barbie land. Yeah. All, all very cute and fun, but I not necessarily realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of were talking about how like it is an all women's college. So there might not be as many Ken's as like portrayed in the mm -hmm. Barbie movie, but there are Ken's. So like men who play like that. Um, I don't know. What's the word? Kind of second fiddle, mm -hmm. I guess. Essentially, men do play second fiddle to what our career goals are, our academic goals or are in a supporting role, like our professors who were male mm -hmm. were in a supporting role, um, even girls who had boyfriends, you know. Yeah, they felt like Ken. Like, yeah. And I think in the movie they call them superfluous, and I don't mm -hmm. want to call any human being superfluous. Mm -hmm. But it felt that way sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, to where, like, you know, we weren't competing over men. So mm -hmm. I feel like that made it easier to support each other and be each other's cheerleaders um, with our goals because we weren't necessarily, because I've seen middle school students uh, <laughs> as a teacher and absolutely like it's, it's insane to me how, you know, young girls will just compete and like this nasty side comes out of them when it comes to when boys and men are around versus like when our softball team was just like, waiting out a rain delay and it was just girls just seeing them interact with each other have fun like be weird be themselves was like an interesting dynamic and I think at an all-women's college it, like it does have parallels to Barbie land which uh, yeah I mean it has a parallel but I would yeah. disagree that we became cheerleaders for each other mm -hmm. in a sense I, I feel like it's much like Barbie where that idealism didn't necessarily translate into mm -hmm. the same kind of support um, you know, I, I think I could have put more effort into like my LSAT and my mm -hmm. law school applications. And I didn't feel like I had necessarily that support from the all women's environment mm -hmm. that I, I probably should have gotten. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it is a little bit idealist yeah. because we're in this kind mm -hmm. of very separate situation. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it doesn't always translate yeah. to the real world. But was that the all women's college or was that Mary Baldwin that didn't do a good enough of a job? I mean, I think it was both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the VWOL program took up most of our time and yeah. most of our attention, but I, I didn't feel like either of them were quite supportive enough in getting us from like college to career or mm -hmm. college to the next step in education to career. Yeah. Um, Which I definitely think, I mean, as, someone who was in the VWOL program knowing that I was going to commission, like, I never had to worry about that. Yeah. So to me, um, I was never concerned about that career transition, but I don't also, I don't really remember there being a good bridge um, or good resources from Mary Baldwin to... No. You know, students. You have to take a bus and a train and yeah. a ski and a camper and, yeah. a, you know, all the things. And I, yeah, <laughs> and I ultimately think that is probably part of Mary Baldwin eventually going co-ed mm -hmm. is like, how can you recruit students when like the bridge, there is no really good bridge from like 
getting your degree to um, the career afterwards. Mm -hmm. There aren't necessarily those well-established internships and resources, uh, networking connections. Mm -hmm. At least I didn't see it. I think military-wise, like, I had it easy because I yeah. knew I was going to commission. Yeah, and I, I thought I was going to commission. I guess yeah. part of that is is breaking off my own bridge by not going down the path I had originally selected. But it wasn't the right path for me. I saw that through ROTC. Mm -hmm. It just was never going to work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, when, when you change your own personal path, mm -hmm. the school has to help you continue to build that bridge. We're going to back up a little bit, and I'm going to ask Tesla to kind of um, let the listeners know a little bit about herself, where she's from, things like that prior to college. Yeah. Um, so prior to college, I was Tesla Goodrich. Um, I identify by pronouns she, her. Um, I went to Mary Baldwin College and the VWOL program expecting to commission into the Air Force. Um, as I said, I do not think that was ever the right path for me. So mm -hmm. I kind of transitioned. Always been kind of a nerd, a little more intellectual. Um, law school became attractive to me. Um, I went to Syracuse College of Law, did the three-year JD program there straight out of Mary Baldwin. Um, and I thought that was a fantastic school, very good faculty. Um, and I ended up meeting my husband in, in law school. He was a, a science man at the Environmental Science and Forestry School next door to Syracuse Law. Uh, graduated law school, took a very, very hard test, uh, passed that test, <laughs> and then moved to New York City, where I started practicing law. Should I keep going? Uh, no, I think, okay. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. Um, so I guess we kind of got, um, we know that you went to Mary Baldwin, yeah. and we know that you went to law school after. Mm -hmm. um, lead us up to, like, prior to knowing you were going to go to Mary Baldwin, where... Were you looking to go to colleges? Like, has Mary Baldwin always been on your radar or um, were women's colleges on your radar or was it just Mary Baldwin? Yeah, I was, I was dead set on the idea that I was going to commission into the Air Force. And I saw a few of my friends in high school went from uh, Monticello High School on mm -hmm. to the VWIL program. That's right. And I was dead set on the VWIL program because I, I I saw people who I thought were cool that went into it, really. Mm -hmm. It was not well-researched. Were you, were you, you were in JRTC, right? I was in JRTC. Yeah. yeah I, I was like very, very yeah. narrow-minded onto that is my path. That is yeah. what's going to happen. Um, And it was really close to home. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't like emotionally ready to leave mm -hmm. the nest yet. I was only an hour away from home. I visited home quite a bit. um, And it felt, it felt perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think also our class really benefited from you being so close to home. Like we had like little bonding events at your house. Yeah. Uh, your parents were great. They were always like super supportive. Mm -hmm. I um, discovered my love for this uh, restaurant in Charlottesville called Sticks. Oh, yeah. Thanks to you and your family and, and all the times that I hung out. Which I, I'm not sure if I've told you this. I think the Sticks in Charlottesville is a knockoff kebab shop from an actual kebab shop in Queens. You did tell okay, me this. Yeah. You did tell me this. But nonetheless, I love their hummus. I've never had hummus like that is the same as the hummus they have. It's peak hummus. Um, and just their cilantro, their creamy cilantro lime sauce. <laughs> um. It's yeah. It, I mean, it's great. And maybe when I go to Richmond, I will be hitting up the location in Richmond. Yeah. So they have <laughs> I know where all their locations are because <laughs> that's how obsessed I am. Um, They have like two or three in Charlottesville. Yeah. And then they have one in Richmond as long as it's still there. They did have one in Williamsburg for a while, but that one closed down. I was sad about that. So you're not podcast Barbie. You're kebab Barbie. Yeah, I mean, I'm. <laughs> uh, I think you said earlier we are all types of Barbies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're all many we're Barbies. Mul we're multifaceted Barbies. Which, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, this Barbie loves kebabs. Yeah, and hummus. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I think our class really thrived on like you living so close too, because 
we were able to have those events yeah. and stuff like that. Well, no, I'm glad my yeah. inability to leave the nest <laughs> benefited you personally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, like, I'm pretty sure we all loved your parents and yeah. have met your parents multiple times. We were all very, um, it was a very windy road to get oh, to yeah. your house. I lived in the deep yeah. country. And you just like whipped around those roads in your little green stick shift like it was nobody's business and I was just like all right okay yeah 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 that was a, a big personality trait of mine is my two-door two-seat yeah. green hybrid um, yeah it was this very small car and yet she still found ways to park it poorly <laughs> And if, <laughs> if you're wondering why it hurts for her to laugh, um, it was because she forgot that we were recording this and going on this trip and had some kidney stone issues. I, I came out of surgery. Yeah. Three days and just, ago. <laughs> uh, you know, she came out of surgery. We, you know, had the option of canceling our trip, but she was like, I'm going to power through this. And so. I can't make her laugh too much or yeah. else she'll be in pain. Yeah, I'll scream out at you. Yeah. Um, yeah, this this episode brought to you by Percocet and yeah. uh, lots of warm compresses. Yeah, this Barbie's on Percocet. <laughs> All right, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> so you found out about Mary Baldwin um, through JRTC. Yeah. Because um, it is very close. It's only like 30... 30 minutes away. I suppose it depends how you drive. Yeah, 45 minutes away yeah. um, in Stanton, Virginia. And, like, if it wasn't for Mary Baldwin and the VWIL program, would you have ever considered, like, a different women's college? No. Okay. I feel like most people would answer that, especially, like, most people that I've interviewed. Mm -hmm. I think the VWIL program is essentially what, Drove drew, me there. Drew, drew us to Mary Baldwin Absolutely. in particular. Yes. Um, but there are a lot of cool uh, women's colleges out there ever since I started this podcast. Like I follow each um, college that is considered um, still to be a women's residential college. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear interviews yeah. from women who chose their all-women's school for the all-women's school. Yes. Because people was, was unique in that mm -hmm. respect. And yeah, and there are some really cool schools out there that have like amazing resources, networks. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to line up more guests and just kind of see what drew them to those schools, whether it was based on where they lived and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of answered this um, a little bit already. Mm -hmm. um, what was your path after college? When did you know that law school was right for you? Um, we used to do these these things. I think it's called FTX. Mm -hmm. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So we do talk about FTX and cats. Okay, so episode. the listeners know what FTX and is. And I did explain. So uh, listeners, I'm pretty sure it's part one of episode two where we explain FTX. Okay, so I was meant to go on an FTX for Air Force ROTC. And the FTX exercise, you're going to have to help me with this one too. I think you put in a mask and go and like, it's some kind of gas. Oh, it, like, the CS chamber? Yeah. I yeah. was supposed to do that. I've done that three times. And I quit that weekend. Um, oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I had been debating whether or not military life was right for me. I mm -hmm. felt like I was losing too much of my, my decision-making power as an individual. I felt like I need more spontaneity in my life to continue to be happy. And I feel like the military kind of dampens the natural spontaneity. Um, you're not wrong. Yeah, those are things I'm discovering about myself. And then they ask me to go in what I have described to myself as a gas chamber. And like, you have to take it off and you have to cry or something. I quit. I quit that weekend. Um, I ended up going to some other alternate FTX program mm -hmm. for people who, and I felt like I had failed, like I had mm -hmm. failed out of the military program. But yeah. it, it wasn't in hindsight a failure. It was a success to know that that was not for me. That was not the path. Um, and so after I did that, I was like, oh, goodness, I'm going to have to have a job now. Um, and it was right around the time that my psychology department uh, hosted a, like, here are the potential careers for you after uh, a psychology degree, a Bachelor of Art, Bachelor of Science from Baldwin. And, like, one of the things I listed was retail. Um, 
And, you know, it was a lot of or continue your education in psychology or you could even do like med school or law school. And I was like, law school? That sounds nerdy and brilliant. Um, and I started looking into law school and I just love the idea of how much reading you have to do to be a successful lawyer, to be a successful law student. Mm-hmm. I'm just I love reading things. I love details. I love nerdiness. Um, and I thought that was the right path for me. Mm-hmm. So I started taking some of the pre-law classes, which Baldwin actually had a really great pre-law professor. Um, and I absolutely loved them. And, and some of the things I learned there, I actually remembered while going. Like I remember some of the things she taught being important to me when I took the bar exam. She was just top notch. Um, mm. So she was absolutely amazing. Um, and that that just kind of set me up. And then yeah. I think I applied to like 12 schools. And the one I really wanted to go to was in Seattle. I like Seattle. It's mm-hmm. a, very much my vibe. Nice. Um, and that is S-U-C-O-L, College of Law. Um, and also S-U-C-O-L, mm-hmm. which I was I was trying to Google Seattle. That's mm-hmm. where I wanted to be. And Syracuse University College of Law comes up. Same acronym, different school, different state. And I, I just, I don't know, I like serendipity. I like spontaneity. I was like, okay, I'll apply to them too. They offered me the best scholarship. They were in the New York area. My mother was like, please do not go to the West Coast. Because you remember, I'm only 30 minutes away from home. I've only ever been 30 minutes away from home. So Syracuse was the great compromise. Yeah. Um, and I, I liked the school. It was it was great for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, um, during law school, was there a certain type of law that you found yourself like more interested in or that you thought you wanted to get into? Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, I was hesitant to get stuck on a path because that mm-hmm. that was very detrimental to me um, earlier. Um, your first year, you take the same classes. Every first year law student all across the country always takes the same first year classes. So there was no specialization. I did some internships. I did an internship in criminal defense my absolute last semester. And I loved that. I love um, direct person um, advocacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel, and I think anybody who's familiar with the criminal justice system feels deeply that it is um, in desperate need of reform and yeah. is in desperate need of support. Um, and I I really loved the criminal defense. Um, I, you know, aside from that, I didn't really do any specializing. And you, you don't do a ton of specializing in law school. You can do some specialized internships. But for the most part, a law degree is, you know, mm-hmm. here's all the information. Yeah. Learn it. Nice. So... You finished law school. I actually think I was there when you were studying for your bar. Um, you did. We you went, took me to Canada. Yeah, we went to Canada. Um, were you? Yeah, and you had to take like your little study breaks, right? I did. Yeah. I mean, did. I'm. Yeah, which is fine. I respect that. Like, I we mean, went for it's just, important. You spent so much time and money. Yeah. No, we went for just one weekend. Yeah. Um, you paid for everything because I didn't have two nickels to row together. And I think I still had to be like, I have to complete this many hours per day yeah, it was or like, I fall off track. It was a module type yeah. thing, which yeah. I mean, that's cool. Like at least it, it was setting you up, you know. With, I passed. Yeah. You, it, I mean, it did the, what it needed to do. At the end of the day, you passed. Um, <laughs> and you were able to go to Canada too. So yeah. sounds like a win-win. Um, yeah. So yeah, I remember you studying for the bar. Yeah, I yeah. remember it too. It was terrible. <laughs> It's a deeply uh, horrifying experience. Is it? But what it is, is it's 12 hours a day of just constant study. Yeah. And it's not the studying that's so hard. I've done that since mm-hmm. I was three. Um, it's the pressure and the yeah. weight of it that, you know, if you don't pass this thing, you're going to have to wait many more months to be producing an income. Yeah. And like you're a failure like academically which yeah. is so important to most law students because mm-hmm. they've always been academically successful yeah and the test doesn't necessarily align with being a lawyer and it doesn't necessarily align with law school so there's mm-hmm. so much weight to pass it yeah the first time and like i luckily did a lot of people don't and that's absolutely fine mm-hmm. you just gotta like you gotta take it again yeah 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 i think that's important to like acknowledge that you know not everyone will pass it the first time and that's yeah. okay yeah like it doesn't mean you're a failure. Mm-hmm. Like tests aren't for everyone. Like I like I get the purpose of tests, but you combine like the anxiety mm-hmm. associated with it and yeah, it can mess you up when you're you're taking 
tests. And, you know, I'm sure there were some questions in there meant to trick you. Um, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. I know which ones I got wrong. And I, I don't forget the ones I got wrong. Like yeah. I knew in the moment. Um, and it's also it's a 16 hour test. Yeah. Split across two different days. Um, There are people who just like actually run out of energy. Yeah. Um, And anybody with any kind of like learning deficiency yep. or anything. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways to fail. Yeah. Um, Especially yeah. it's already 16 hours. So say you do have a learning disability to where like you need extended time or uh, you need things uh, audio presentation so that in that in itself means you're taking the test even longer which is stressing you out for an even longer amount of time because those are some standard accommodations yeah i'm not familiar with the standard accommodations for the bar exam yeah i I don't know assume they those are just those are just general accommodations for like k through 12 so i'm assuming those might potentially be options for the bar something exists um and if those are then a lot of accommodations just make the test even longer mm. for those for you for people who are taking it which i can only imagine just causes more anxiety oh yeah i know and i i know the person who sat next to me i don't know their name i don't know anything about them but i could see them failing their bar um oh. because i they weren't english as a first language and mm-hmm. i could just see they weren't getting through the pages fast enough yeah and at every break, I could see that he was only halfway done with the material. Mm-hmm. And I think it was his reading speed or his comprehension speed. Something mm-hmm. speed wasn't there. Yeah. And I just like my heart broke because like he, he could be a fantastic lawyer. And hopefully mm-hmm. he got to a point where he did pass and he became a fantastic yeah. lawyer. But you can see it happening. Um, yeah. It's it's a miserable experience. And mm-hmm. I, I would like some reform there. But there are other things to tackle first. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, lots lots of things to tackle. So you pass your bar, mm-hmm. you move to New York City. Mm-hmm. What was your first job after passing your bar that was related to like law? I um, well, I briefly worked as a secretary at Avon um, <laughs> because I I needed anything to pay my rent. Mm-hmm. Um. I I did a job. There's a, a field in law called document review where, mm-hmm. um, you know, before any litigation, there's a period of discovery, which is the legal term for learning about each other's case. And discovery usually involves uh, millions of emails being passed from one side mm-hmm. to the other. And each side has to review those emails slash documents. Yeah. For it. And so I, I did a job where I was managing a case of document because I wasn't a lawyer. I couldn't do the document review myself. Reading was not for me yet. Um, I I managed a case room, which essentially was sitting in a room checking people's attendance sheets. Mm. Um, that may be my first legal job. Okay. Um, um, <laughs> what was the first job that you had where you legitimately felt like a lawyer? Yeah, when I became lawyer, Barbie. Um, yeah. I I worked a job in immigration. Which was, yeah, so the criminal defense clinic was a real job. I had real clients and made a real change in people's lives. That was as a student, Mm -hmm. um, unsupervised, out on my own with my own degree and license. Um, I did an immigration work for a firm in Queens, and I also did criminal defense work for them as well. Um, And I was an immigration lawyer through uh, the Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most difficult jobs because immigration law, is, as a rule, is just extremely complicated. It's like that and tax have mm-hmm. the most intricacies in the the rule building. Um, and also the rules were changing every single Friday. On Friday, a new case would drop that just dramatically changed the framework for everything we had ever done. So you, you want to work with templates? Forget about it. Mm-hmm. Like everything is new every single time. Um and in some ways, that was really exciting. Like the most exciting thing I've, thing I've done to date was I made case law once. I was I was the first one to ever win a type of case, and I could get into it, but it's very very complicated. But yeah. you know, essentially, the law changed on Friday. We had to finish our case uh, by Wednesday because the judge was retiring, and you know, yeah. she was like, "I can give you two weeks to brief this issue entirely and and make a case for your client." Um, 
because his his asylum was based on being a part of a family and the family was being kind of picked off one by one and murdered. Mm. Um, and his family membership was what kind of tied him into his relief in the United States. And so that family membership relief got erased with the new new law. And she said, you know, you've got two weeks to argue that that family membership relief isn't erased. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. And at the time, everybody, like legal aid, all the best attorneys, they were just getting adjournments because they needed a second to prepare their case. Mm-hmm. And I would have too, except for the fact that she was retiring and she's the only one that'll grant this. If anybody would, it would be her. Um, and so I got it briefed and ready. And in two weeks, um, we won and she agreed with me and read into the record all my arguments on exactly why um, family-based relief was not mm-hmm. precluded under the new law. And when I won that, I was already in Texas in the pool. Um, I get two calls at the same time. One was to do another bond hearing, which we won. Um, and one was that he was going to get his asylum approved. Nice. It was all very exciting, very fast-paced. Um, and that was the the positive spin on it. The exhausting mm-hmm. part was uh, 90% of cases were getting deported. And there's nothing worse than telling, like, a 14-year-old child, your mother just got deported today. Yeah. Uh, and I did that with some regularity. Mm. Um, and so I, I burnt out a little bit. Uh, yeah. And, and when, when COVID hit and when the courts shut down, I mm-hmm. stepped away from immigration with the intent of returning to it when the courts were back up and running. Yeah. And the relief of not having to give people the worst news of their life yeah. was just astounding. Yeah. So I, I haven't gone back. Um, yeah. you know, I, yeah, 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 no, that, that's, that's a heavy burden to have to tell family members that, you know, no matter how hard you tried on their case that, you oh, know, yeah. their family members still being deported. Yeah. And, you and know? some of your most reasonable clients will go, you know, I don't think anybody could have done a better job than you. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like if they're deported, yeah. they're deported. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure for you who's like genuinely cared about the people that, you know, you're serving, it it makes it hard in that ways on you. Yeah. And I would say the immigration bar is typically pretty high um, mm-hmm. because it's not one of the, the better paying. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people do it for mm-hmm. for the passion, for the subject. Yeah. Um, but you're right. There are mm-hmm. people who are who are intentionally putting less time towards their cases to get mm-hmm. more cases, to get more money. Yeah. Um, and there are more people who are, are just kind of burnt out in that profession mm-hmm. and they don't put the time to it. Um, but for a young, still very passionate attorney, it, it's emotionally uh, yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, based on your experience with immigration law, um, for people who are listening, um, are the, is there certain types of pathways for people who are undocumented that they might not necessarily be aware of that you know of? You just asked me, what is my favorite visa? Yes. I'm so excited your to tell favorite you my favorite visa. visa. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so tons of great ways to get mm-hmm. into the United States. Um, a lot of them are trauma-based. Hate that. Um, but my favorite one is the Special Immigrant Juvenile Visa Status, SIG. Um, and SIG is for children under the age of 21, and in some states 18, but you can always just move states if this applies to you. Um, and if you have been abandoned, abused, neglected uh, by at least one parent, mm-hmm. or if one of your parents has passed away, or if one of your parents did not make the journey to the United States with you, if for some reason... One of your parents is unavailable to you mm-hmm. um, in a sufficient fashion um, and you are unmarried and you are under 21, you can get an automatic special immigrant juvenile status visa. And that's a visa you get from the family courts. It's a little complicated. So mm-hmm. anybody who has the money, I suggest you hire an attorney. If you don't have the money, I suggest you find an attorney who will help you for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, those kids can get that status. They can get a green card. And then their green card can eventually turn into citizenship. But it expires. Being a person who was under 21 when they came in and who did not have both parents available to them is not enough. You have to do it mm-hmm. while you're still a child. Okay. Um, so it's great because – and if if I were back to immigration law, I'd want to do exclusively SIG because you always win. The kids always get their status. Um mm-hmm. 
And it always ends in, in a green card night. I love when you can, you know, spend somebody's like attorney fees and actually create quality work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a, yeah, Cinch yeah. is my favorite visa. Yeah. There are and, a lot, but it's the best. Yeah. And kind of just like to clarify, essentially, once you're past 21, so as soon as it, you turn the 22, door the, permanently. the door closes. Yeah, it's called aging out. Yeah. And if you, you're over 21, um, you'll never get access to that visa again. Yeah. So do it quick. Yeah. So that's kind of why it's important to highlight this. Um, yeah. yeah. So like if if in general, if any of the listeners know someone who's like falls in that criteria, making sure that they take advantage of it before they age out. Yeah. Um, and then the other like immigration tidbit I like people to know. Um, there's this term called illegal aliens or illegal immigrants that people throw around all the time. Mm-hmm. I'd say 98% of people who cross onto our border, Mm -hmm. even if they don't do so at a port, are still seeking asylum status. And if you're seeking asylum status, your legal definition is asylum seeker, not illegal. Mm -hmm. There are very, very few people Mm -hmm. who you could properly categorize as an illegal immigrant. Because asylum status is something that we've agreed on as a part of our international treaties. If they're an asylum seeker, and I... Almost everybody who crosses has a real asylum case. They're not illegal. So it's a misnomer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's kind of just a word that's used to kind of. Oh, yeah. It's also very rude. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it's used to like villainize and. For sure. Dehumanize them. For sure. It's 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 yeah. Used as a nasty slang term for people who are trying to live their lives. It's also uh, incorrect. So if you don't want to be dumb and incorrect, you could stop using it. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. Uh, That's the advantages of having a lawyer who understands these kind of things. Lawyer Barbie at play. Yeah. Thank you, Lawyer Barbie. (laughs) Um, Now, let's move on to kind of what you're doing now. What does that involve? Yeah. You're you're in a place that... I am in a very happy place for myself. Yeah, very good place. So I work for a mid-sized boutique law firm in Midtown Manhattan called Celindy Gay Ellsberg. Um, they do large scale litigation cases and I work on, uh, the discovery preparation side. I'm a staff attorney there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I do mostly discovery work. Um, I do a little bit of document review. I do, um, some preparing filings. I do a lot of research. Um, Mm -hmm. and I am just obsessed with that firm. Um, it is night and day from the immigration work I was doing and that, you know, like, the intensity is lower. The anxiety is lower. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's a really great community to work for. Yeah. And it sounds like they really take care of their employees through yeah. like their health care benefits, um, things like that. Yeah. No, I would say they're, they're a more progressive firm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Love them. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you have all this education and with that education comes some pretty hefty student loans. Um, so I kind of do want to just discuss like the student loan situation because it's very hot topic right now. Um, just in general, when there comes to like student loan forgiveness, these types of topics. And when we were younger, I would say like going through high school um, as like, kids of the 90s we were very much ingrained at like a young age that college is the way to success Mm -hmm. and to climbing the ladder um so of course so many of us embarked on our journey to college um not understanding uh the potential of all this debt that we mm-hmm. could incur. So as someone who, you know, went to a private um, a private undergraduate program and then into law school, mm-hmm. how much debt have you acquired? And is it realistic for you to actually pay that debt back, even right. though you're this successful lawyer who has like a pretty decent income? Yeah. Um, so I was on scholarship at Baldwin, and I was also a scholarship recipient at Syracuse. Um, I left Baldwin with $20,000 in loans. Mm-hmm. I left Syracuse with $200,000 in loans. 
So I have about $220,000 of principal to pay back. And I have $17,000 of uncapitalized interest um, at this point. Uh, I think I could pay $220,000 over the next 10 years. But I don't owe $220,000 over the next 10 years. Um, if I paid in uh, 10 years, I would be set with a monthly payment of about 4000 per month, mm -hmm. which equates to like... I think three hundred and fifty thousand. I'm not really great with math. That's a thing for lawyers. They're like very bad at math as a rule. <laughs> um, but I would I would pay nearly double in mm -hmm. any kind of repayment plan. So we have um, there's there's two repayment plans called pay and repay. And repay is going to turn into save. There's a bunch of acronyms. Um, and then there's also you know the ten year plan and there's also the twenty year graduated plan. Um, and I, I ran a loan simulator recently because I'm going to have to to do something with these loans. Um, and I didn't see any simulation style that had me paying less than $350,000. Um, with the 25-year plan, uh, I could make payments of about 10% of my income for the next 25 years. Um, and in that plan, my loans will end in about $800,000. So I will pay three hundred dollars of it. Uh, it will be uh, $800,000 once you include interest. And they will forgive, oh, so kindly, uh, about half a million dollars. Um, I will never, under that plan, make any payments towards the principal balance of my loan. Mm -hmm. Um and that's uh, horrifying to yeah. me. Yeah. Like the, the numbers are just so large. And I mm -hmm. think, I mean, like I wasn't stupid when I took out these loans, but I also didn't conceptualize that, you know, 220000 turned into eight hundred. Yeah. Um, and do you, do you know yeah. ballpark what your interest rate is? It's it's a little hard for me to get a grip on that right now mm -hmm. because it's it's paused and everything says zero. Mm -hmm. Um but I believe it's closer to like seven percent for most of mine, which mm -hmm. are graduate loans. Um which is the average um interest rate for mortgages right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm absolutely desperate for some kind of relief, some kind of plan that would allow me to pay towards principal. Mm -hmm. Um because I and I know like one of my biggest fears, uh, something that keeps me up at night is it, it, under the forgiveness plan as it's set now. Yeah. You know, if 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 my loan grew to eight hundred and I paid ten percent every month, and you know I never touched the principal, like you know, you could say who cares because you're still just paying ten percent for twenty five years and it'll all get forgiven at, mm -hmm. at twenty five years. But I think that's actually right now it's a taxable event, um, and that means that the government could see that $500,000 of forgiveness as income. Um, and so I could be set with an income tax of about $500,000 that, like, it only ever existed mm -hmm. on the servicer's website. Like, none mm -hmm. of those dollars ever. Mm -hmm. Like, I never saw that. Um, I never even took out that much. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Um. So that's the big fear with this forgiveness mm -hmm. over the 25 or for undergrads, I think, um, could be as short as 10 to 15. But, mm -hmm. you know, everything's higher for grads. Um, and, yeah, so it's an extremely high interest rate. It's an extremely mm -hmm. high taxable event if that's mm -hmm. the route you need to go. Um, the 4000 a month is just absolutely impossible. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got on the phone with my servicer once and I was like, actually, who can pay that? And she yeah. laughed and she's like, you know, the pharmacist. That's about it. Um, <laughs> but like I, I, most lawyers, even very high paid lawyers, like that's just 4000 a month. Mm -hmm. And like if I want to grow a family, like yeah. I, that and childcare, get out. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. 10% of your income. Just it's think of all the other things you could put that money towards. Um, if you're not paying 10% of your income, 
and then obviously four grand that's not 10 percent. right not that's happen. just if you're that would be just yeah. if i paid in 10 yeah. 10 years if i paid yeah. an equal monthly payment yeah. for the course of 10 years um that would that would be my cost yeah and so i, th- I think like the way the plans look right now, I'm just set with an mm-hmm. extra 10% tax mm-hmm. on my income for 25 years and then yeah. forgiveness. And then I think I have to go bankrupt the year I get that that taxable event. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's my plan. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what else, what yeah. the other options are if they don't, mm-hmm. if they don't help with the interest in some way. Yeah. And it's like, we need, yeah. we need lawyers, we need doctors, we need you know, people to go into these fields that require these large commitments to the educational process that come with a hefty price tag. Like you can be incredibly intelligent, but not necessarily find like be able to get scholarships and grants to cover that Mm -hmm. cost because it is just an enormous amount. Um, So These are federal loans, right? Every single one of my loans is a federal loan. So I think the big question comes back to why are, you know, we being told that education is this transformative route um, to climb the ladder to. So if you start, you know, from the bottom, like you're grow up in like a low income family, you know, you're told education is the way. And I do wholeheartedly believe that education is the biggest key to being able to climb that ladder. Mm-hmm. It, it it plays an important role. But why are we preying on that education by having interest rates that are so incredibly high? Like, yes, we should be loaning out that money, um, having federal loans as an option. But you know, why is the interest rate so high? Absolutely. It should be like a nominal interest rate. To me, it should be no different than what banks make off of your savings account that barely accrues any interest, For sure. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think two things happened in the 90s that are frustrating to me. One, there was a villainization of skilled labor and trade labor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just as a full stop, we absolutely should never have and should continue not to villainize skilled laborers. Yeah. You know, plumbing is a very, very mm-hmm. real career. But I know for myself, I, I've i always been more intellectual than I am mm-hmm. handy. Um, and that that's where my skill set had to be. Yeah. Um, and it, it took me a while to figure out exactly where my skill set mm-hmm. was. But it's this. Yeah. Like, I'm very good at this. Yeah. Um, and... You know, the the expectation was always, you know, go to college and things will work themselves out. Yeah. And I think as an income, mm-hmm. I've, I've been able to work myself out. Mm-hmm. And I think I could pay my loans. I really think I could pay my loans and I, I want to pay my loans. I just don't know how to pay my loans with runaway interest. Mm-hmm. I I just don't know how to do it um, no. with runaway interest mm-hmm. and inflation and like growing our family. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just. Yeah. It's not in the cards. Um, and I think that's a, there's a lot of people in my shoes. It's it's like the lawyers and mm-hmm. the doctors mm-hmm. and, um, you know, other people with PhD or professional degrees. Yep. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out. Um, it, they, they have created a lot of really great programs for people with 10 to 20,000 in loans right now mm-hmm. that are feeling like in their in a sinking place. Like I, there are some like the public interest loan forgiveness when it's actually done right. It's a really great program. Mm-hmm. For, you know, a teacher could have loans for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Love that. Um, but what they didn't tackle yet is is some of these like runaway large amounts for these grad students because the the conversation always turns mm-hmm. to, well, those are high paying careers. Yeah. Um, and yes, but if I'm making a lot of money, I'm also paying a lot of taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, like I I'm giving back in that way. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I do want to pay those those big loans. It's mm-hmm. just it's just, it's not going to happen. No. There's well, just no way. And also, a lot of the the high paying jobs or um, like some of the best firms, some of the best hospitals, if you're a doctor, are going to be in expensive uh, cities with high costs oh, of sure. living. For so sure. you have to think about that. Yes, they're the income might be high, but also to live somewhere with a high income 
is to also have these extremely high costs of living. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to think about it. Like not everybody passes their bar. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, you know, passes their boards. Mm-hmm. There is a whole collection of human beings out there who have tried their absolute level best to become a doctor and they they have loans but mm-hmm. not a career. Yeah. Or there's a whole class of lawyers who make, you know, mm-hmm. less than $100,000 a year. There's a lot of lawyers who are not high paid lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um and I, we we yeah. just we like we don't have any kind of structure to help mm-hmm. people who are sinking in that debt and it's it I mean they're going to have to spend only on survival mm-hmm. and that's going to harm the economy. Yeah. Like I it's it's not going to mm-hmm. to benefit us as as a community and a society. Yeah. It's if you don't have the threat of these huge student loans looming over your head that gives you a lot of disposable income that you can use to infuse the economy. Oh, for sure. Because I, I mean, I know what I'm going to cut. Like the first thing I'm going to cut is I'm never going to buy like outside coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I really like supporting my local coffee store. Like it's, yeah. it's a woman who owns her own business and like mm-hmm. she allows dogs, and, you know. Um, but, I, you know, like that's that's step one. I'm, I'm like mm-hmm. not going to buy it like local stores. I'm not going to buy mm-hmm. on that anymore. Like my food bill is going to have to come down dramatically. Like mm-hmm. it's it's gonna harm my like micro economy. Yeah. Um yeah. It's it's overwhelming. So um I am absolutely depressed talking about my student loans. Let's let's uh talk about the crime, the mob bosses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh in case you're wondering, this is neither of us live here. This uh lovely backdrop um is part of our Airbnb. Also, the lighting um, is amazing in here. There's so many pot lights in the ceiling to where we didn't even need to open the windows for natural light. And I didn't want to because you can see people walking because it is like a very walkable neighborhood. In fact, did you know that there are two hills in Providence? I'll tell you the first hill is Federal Hill. (laughs) And I'll let Tesla tell you the name of the second hill. Yeah, the other hill is College Hill, uh, where yeah. you find Brown University. And as our new favorite podcast, Crime Town, says, the lawyers and the doctors and the... Yeah. And Federal Hill, where we're staying, was where you could find the mob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So we've been... <laughs> uh, when we drove here, uh, we started listening to that podcast, Crime Town. Yeah, Crime Town. Yeah. Um, and somehow I think we're only like halfway through, like, it's kind of crazy how long it is and, um, how many stories there are about the mob. Anywho. Yeah. That's, we just decided randomly to come to Providence. Uh, well, actually we wanted to go to Portland, Maine, but (laughs) if we're being honest, uh, sorry, Providence. Um, and you know, it was, the drive was long and then it was much more expensive so we found this beautiful Airbnb yeah. in Providence and we we're like, let's do it. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> we've been listening to this uh, podcast um, and it's, yeah, it goes into the um, history of the mob and all the crime associated with it in Providence. And we are literally in the area where the mob thrived, Federal Hill. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to listen to a pro- crime podcast when you're an abolitionist. I'm an abolitionist, by the way. I don't believe in uh, the prison system. Okay. At all. Um, it, Especially the way the United States has done it. We have um, over-criminalized mm-hmm. so many things. We have over-criminalized uh, so many people. And we have made a huge profit off of mostly black and brown people in yeah. the United States. Um so it's interesting to spend the whole weekend laughing about crime um, when it's kind of one of the things yeah. I'm most passionate about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is because you did bring up reform. And yeah. I, that's funny because you've never mentioned that to me. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, you're an abolitionist. Yeah. Well, it it's come to me slowly. Yeah. Because like the first thing you think about when you think about, you know, what what would happen if we got rid of prison entirely what Mm -hmm. would happen to someone who commits murder what would happen Mm -hmm. to somebody who commits rape Mm -hmm. um 
And I think that's a very small population of our prison prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the most part, I think most people would benefit from rehabilitation. And as mm-hmm. a society in particular, we would benefit from rehabilitation. I mean, the thing is, you have to think, what is what is the purpose of prison? What is the purpose of the criminal justice mm-hmm. system? And if the purpose is punishment, retribution, I guess it works, mm-hmm. kind of. Like, if you get the right mm-hmm. person, you get the right punishment. And there are some people who really believe that that's the whole purpose, is we should punish people who have done in their eyes bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't agree that the purpose of the criminal justice system should ever be uh, punishment. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just don't yeah. believe that retribution is a quality we mm-hmm. need to have in a society. So I think we we need to focus in on rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And if there's somebody who cannot be reincorporated mm-hmm. to society for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's it's healthcare. Yeah. That's that's where mm-hmm. they need to be. Um, and so yeah, it, it, it was hard for me to get there mm-hmm. because there are some really you know big ticket crimes that people yeah. question. And I think you bring up a good point. There are genuinely people who c- could be considered based on like. The fact that they murdered someone, raped someone, that are genuinely a danger to society. Yeah. But there's also so many crimes that, um, you know, someone may have committed because a victim of their circumstance, like their socioeconomic circumstances, you know, led them into onto these paths and things like that. Yep. Um, it, I, the best question to ever ask when somebody commits a crime is why? Yeah. And people don't like to ask the why because they're mm-hmm. just mad about the what. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing, there's a Harvard Law professor who says that the average person commits three felonies a day mm-hmm. that they don't get caught for. Yeah. Um, and when you look at how many laws are in the books, how many things yeah. we've overcriminalized, you all, every single person listening to this podcast, I promise you, has committed a felony. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you think about the impacts that has on your life and the impacts of just like being in prison feels like such a terribly inhumane thing to me. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot, like, I didn't want to join the military because I didn't like that sometimes they tell you when to wake up. Like, I cannot imagine the idea of not having control of movement, mm-hmm. of where I go next. Like, if I want to go to Rhode Island for the weekend, I'm not going to let surgery stop me. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. I just can't imagine taking somebody's privilege to move, mm-hmm. to exist. Yeah. I like the point you bring up about when someone commits a crime, we're not considering the why. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself kind of ties back to conversations with Kat to where like we're not addressing problems at their root. Like yeah. what are the causes of crime and what can we do to address them so that people don't fall into committing those crimes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like the, the- biggest example of that in our recent history is the opioid crisis Mm -hmm. there's so many people who got caught up in what we have defined as criminal behavior Mm -hmm. because of poor pain management Mm -hmm. because of uh you know a need to sell drugs for for sustenance um Mm -hmm. it's just so many i mean a company that wants to just profit make pure profits yeah and of course the Mm -hmm. that family the sackler family yeah. uh none of them went to jail mm-hmm. <laughs> and i that's why it took me a while to become an abolitionist because if i could send anybody to jail it would be them mm-hmm. um but i i just don't i think as a society we'd get so much more out of abolishing the prison system than we get currently by having one mm-hmm. and i don't think we're in a place where we can reform it mm-hmm. like it's just I just don't think we can reform it. Um, yeah. Um, and it, it also frustrates me in the context for immigration because, of course, when I when I did immigration, I did both that and criminal. So I would get a lot of um, immigrant clients who had committed crimes either in here or uh, their country of birth. Um, and it's frustrating to me that because you immigrated to the United States, your criminal code is so much more strict on you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if somebody who was born in Kansas gets a DUI, they might get a little bit of a prison sentence. They may get fines. They may have to take classes. Mm-hmm. If somebody who was born in Guatemala gets a DUI, they might never be allowed to be United States citizens. 
And that punishment is so much harsher for them than it is for that guy who was born in Kansas. And I think it's just so unfair that depending on the country you were born in, once you're in the United States, the laws don't apply equally. Mm-hmm. They're different sets of laws. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, sometimes in New York, you can convince a prosecutor to change the plea agreement to recognize that those are unequal applications of the same law. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of places you can't. You just absolutely can't. Yeah. And there are people who are being, you know, penalized literally for where they were born. Um. And, it, you know, nobody nobody should be driving drunk. You shouldn't do it. Yeah. It, it, it's not something you should do. Um, but I don't think we should live in a society that, like, penalizes some people more than other people for mm-hmm. that same action. Yeah. That I, I think we can all agree mm-hmm. is an action we shouldn't be taking. But, yeah, I, I would get rid of the prison system and I would decriminalize so many mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Uh, prostitution, most drug crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, list me a crime. We'll probably get there. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, are there thought processes for what after abolishing the prison system could look like? What that could look like? Yeah. Besides, I mean, I'm sure there's people out there who have done like the studies and who yeah. have created plans of what that could look like if it was created by a policy yeah and i don't want to pretend to be an expert here because i i don't have access to the information Mm -hmm. of what that looks like Mm -hmm. i know some of the things that people are doing now especially in the drug space is Mm -hmm. a lot more rehabilitation Mm -hmm. um getting a bed in a hospital um which is something i've done for clients i had in the past where Mm -hmm. you know they could either go to jail or they could get a bed in a hospital um even if they have to stay in the hospital longer i will always try to convince them to take that um but, I mean, like, if you look at, like, say, shoplifting, mm-hmm. um, New York has tried to decriminalize shoplifting a little bit. And there are people who believe that that's just led to a string of stores just being cleaned out mm-hmm. entirely. Um, and we've done bail reform, which keeps people out of prison in the short term. And and there are people who believe that that leads to to more crime. Um, I I don't necessarily think abolishing prison will lead to more crime Mm -hmm. because i think the why people decide to do or not to do crime rarely has anything to do with their calculation of the cost of the consequences Mm -hmm. so that's another reason people advocate for the prison system right Mm -hmm. um if people know they'll go to jail for stealing this car they won't steal this car very rarely someone who's about to steal a car doing like a very detailed cost analysis of the consequences of their actions. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's another why. Yeah. There's something going there. And so maybe like maybe it's a concentrated effort to get mental health care across the board mm-hmm. so that people are making irrational decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe with some of these sex crimes, it's a concentrated effort uh, starting at a young age to teach mostly men, to be honest, um, you know, how to appropriately communicate with women Mm -hmm. um, and how to appropriately respect consent and boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, maybe it's changing the drinking culture on college campuses Mm -hmm. to to attack some of that underlying sex crime. Like, I think, like, a Mm -hmm. lot of this is going to be preventing crimes from occurring in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then once they've occurred, I I honestly, and that's what your question Mm -hmm. was a while ago, um, you know, what do we do once a crime's already occurred and the mm-hmm. the traditional sentence would be prison? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna need some of those Harvard kids to figure that one out for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think yeah, that's kind of why I brought it up. I yeah. like just I think it's a complicated answer. Um, but uh I think we hit on some really important topics. We also uh talked a little bit about the mob. But if we tried to go in more detail, it would be very complicated. Um, I do know that um, if you were in the mob, like if you're considered a wise guy, um, and we've been playing around with those accents, mostly me. I've just been playing around with my wise guy (laughs) accent. Um, And, you know, this has been a fun episode, very informative. um, But we're going to have to wrap it up. 
Um, so we're going to wrap things up in Providence. Uh, we're not wise guys, but you know, no. we're pretty convinced we walked past some wise guys uh, oh, this morning. We'll leave you with this fun fact. Um, when you're in the mob, you don't get fired. You get fired at. That's a fun tidbit from our podcast that we've been <laughs> listening to. Uh, we've been having a great time uh, here in Federal Hill, yeah. uh, but it's time to call it a day. So uh, I will give you the opportunity if you want to. Um, I know maybe not all guests are interested in this, but it's called Plugs. So if there's like any form of social media or anything that you want to highlight um about yourself if listeners were interested to find out more uh, about you you can do that but if you are not interested in that then we don't have to do I that i have no interest in anyone finding me okay Tes do not find me tesla has no interest in you finding her um so she will not be plugging anything <laughs> and uh that's all we have for today uh thank you so much tesla for joining us yeah thanks um, for having me yeah it's been really fun yeah all a right blast. well i'll see you next week and you can't find me yeah you can't find <laughs> tesla she doesn't want you to find her thanks for listening to the all girls school podcast but before class is over, please take a moment to subscribe or leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts. If you enjoy video content, head over to our YouTube channel at All Girls School Podcast, where you can watch and listen to each episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at All Girls School Podcast, and you can email us questions, stories, and more at the All Girls School Podcast at gmail.com. That's it for today. Class is dismissed.